Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Welcome back, all you archery gurus out there. It is time to play on the podcast we call podcast, Archery Country Podcast. Thank you for tuning in as we got a super cool dude in the house. We call him Champ. That's his nickname. Uh, I've known him for quite a few years. Got a chance to travel with him to shoots, shot against him, and lost a few times. He is uh, one outstanding individual, <clears throat> and we're glad to have him from only in Iowa. He is your 2021 Rushmore Rumble champion, which... When you folks are hearing this, that means it's not even a week old. He's got the cup. It's in his hand. He's got the cash. It's in the bank account. He won the virtual indoor national. He's our champion for that. Hopefully the last one we'll ever do, but congratulations. He has won indoor nationals in 2018. He won Vegas in 2020. And I uh, placed a couple of times at Reading. He's top four Lancaster. Pretty much when it comes to putting a arrow in an X-ring, <clears throat> or on a field round, this dude can find it, and he does it. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, we say hello to Jason Gedkin. Jason, how you doing, brother? Not too bad yourself. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're glad that you can be on, and we, uh, we're going to dive in. So the topic, as people have already clicked on it, they know what the topic is, but what we're going to do is go in over our head with target archery. Target archery can include this. Everything from indoor setups to outdoor field rounds to 3D, which is <clears throat> a, a bunch of interest that we have in the 3D archery world. So I said, why not get any better? I've known Jason probably seven years now, off and on. Uh, when we talk about an actual bow build, he shot about every brand. He set up every rest on the market. He shot every site. He shot arrows. He's got it at contracts. This dude is legit, so instead of me just feeding you a bunch of stuff, I'm going to feed off of him. I'm going to ask him and shoot him, crossfire a bunch of questions, and we're going to go very, very, very deep and detailed on arrow tuning and bow setups and tournament preparation, mental breakdown, shot preparation. <clears throat> Basically, everything that you can think about, I'll probably cover it in this podcast. So hang on to your seats. Jason, uh, before we go anywhere, congratulations on last week's awesome shooting. That, uh, Thank you. That's a very cool, very first. Actually, you got two first ever tournaments this year, and uh, you walked away the champion of the first of it. And we're talking about the Rushmore Rumble, was I was in Yankton, South Dakota, and then the virtual indoor. So you're having a pretty good year, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So far, it's been off to a pretty good start. So hopefully, that continues for the next couple of uh, couple of weeks or a couple of months. So let's just talk about that a little bit. What do you what do you have coming up? What are you going to prepare for? Are you going back to indoor nationals? Is are we going to Reading? Are you going to go shoot some ASAs? Do you have some stuff in Iowa that you're going to do? What's like what's right around the corner? Well, I think probably what's going to be first is going to be um, the virtual Vegas for the flights. Um, I think that starts like april uh march 12th or something like that i can't remember when that starts but it runs for a month okay um it's, it's for all the flight divisions um same thing as vegas really i mean you gotta shoot 90 euros still so right that'll be uh 
that'll be first on the list, and then I'll be going back to Yankton for indoor nationals. And um, perfect. We'll kind of see what happens from there. But there's a few uh, state shoots in, in in the meantime, so those are always good uh, good shoots to go practice at. So. Absolutely. And you are a you're on the board, or you run the board down there in Iowa for association, correct? Uh, yeah, on the board down there, help out with uh, with a lot of state stuff, and uh, maybe a, a little bit with the pro am. But yep. unfortunately, that was canceled. So. And what we're talking about when when we say the word virtual for all of our listeners out there that haven't been affected by COVID, you're probably not breathing, uh, it not personally affected. But what do we talk about things that you can do? Archery is the very first thing besides concerts and entertainment that's going to be cut because it's huge and there's a lot of us in close quarters. Luckily the state of South Dakota and the governor of South Dakota, uh, kudos to them. Fine folks. Bruce, uh, has done a great job with his entire team to help get some tournaments going. But when he says virtual Vegas, <clears throat> usually the biggest, the Super Bowl of our shoot is Vegas every year, usually last weekend. And, uh, so when he's, when that's the next tournament that you're going to prepare for, they name a target after it's Vegas target. It's three arrows. Do you have to shoot individually like a day and then another day and then another day? Or how does the, how do they score that? Well, that part's not clear yet. So I'm not, I'm not hundred percent certain. They haven't released the uh, details yet. It's always fun. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. <laughs> it will never, it'll never be the same as actually sitting in the halls or sitting in the, you know, shooting against pressure. Um, but we're doing our best, right? Yeah, and that's that's kind of you know the alternative to to the virtual is is not having a tournament at all. So right. the the virtual is better than nothing. Yep. Um, especially you know the the indoor nationals virtual shoot. Um, it wasn't that bad. Went down to a local club where you know to to get some people to turn out there and and you know the scoring and everything was was done the same as as what have been would have been done anywhere else. Yep. Just a few less people. Um, you still got to shoot the same arrows. You still got to stick them in the middle. Um, exactly. It, it is different. You know, not <clears throat> not seeing all the people there and not being on the big line like you have down at uh, indoor nationals. But you know, it's it's definitely better than the alternative. So. And is that is that live, or is it just no, just no, scores scores are coming in? Yep, scores. Scores come in. The the club verifies the scores and the, the scorecards and all that. So right, all right. So you got to excuse me. I'm getting used to a brand new desk chair that's meant for like Donald Trump Jr. It's huge. <laughs> so if I walk away, if I'm hopefully I don't fall out of this deal. But we're down in my shop today. Uh, so I'm looking at bows. I'm looking at arrows. I'm looking at everything. And Jason, like I was saying in the introductions, when we talk about bow building and arrow building, we're gonna pick your brain. So for tournament preparation, <clears throat> before you ever enter a tournament or at the beginning of the year, you have to build your bow, okay? We're not here today to talk about which bow brand is better. We don't care about that. What we're going to do is give you little tidbits, little help. We're going to kind of see what it is that you're missing on your bow build or your bow technician might be missing or things that you may want to do as far as arrow tuning and going from that. But Jason, I know your bow's... <clears throat> pretty well i know that you have a longer draw length like i do and poundage usually all of our target archery is between 60 and 70 depending on what you want to do 
But what are you looking at in a bow? And I say this tentatively, but you've shot a few brands over the last couple of years. And for those people that are already on his Facebook page, checking out posts and pictures, you're going to notice a bow that shows up quite a bit. What, uh, what is a what is it that you look for or that you've established in your shot routine and your your bow build? Just for maybe some customers that don't know exactly why we call them target bows, uh, but what what is it that's that's working for you? Well, what I look for first is is a bow that's that's comfortable to shoot. So, a bow that I can shoot all day long and not get tired. Um, of shooting it, um, not not get much shoulder fatigue. You know, make sure make sure your draw weight's right for, right for one thing. But but the draw cycle of the bow, in, in my opinion, makes makes a pretty big difference in in how uh, how comfortable a bow can be. So if if I have a bow that that I like and, and it's easy to shoot, um, that that in turn to me helps helps me a lot. Builds builds confidence fast. Um, just a, a comfortable bow to shoot, you know, something that, you know, a good, good draw cycle. It's got a good grip, you know, and, and you know, there's one part of your bow that you touch and that's, that's your grip. You know, you don't, Absolutely. you don't touch any other part of the bow. So if you're, if you're down, if you don't like your grip, um, you know, that's, you're probably not ever going to like it. You know, it, it's hard, it's hard to grow on really. I think, I think a, a good bow grip is, is very important. Um, and the reason before, the, you know, <clears throat> and <clears throat> my goodness, especially target archery, repeatability is a huge word. And if you cannot repeat the shot from 1 to 60 or 1 to 90 or 1 to 120 with arrow, you're not going to have the outcome that you desire, correct? <clears throat> right. So if you want right. a grip, we, we there's some grips out there. There's some aftermarket grips. I'm not going down that road. I'm just saying that you have to be able to repeat the hand placement every single time. So that's a major yep, contributor. Yep. And when you say comfortable to shoot, 90% of what we're doing is practicing. And if you're not going to enjoy it, you're not going to thrive to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're not going to be accurate. And if you're not accurate, you're not happy. And then you're not entering tournaments anyways, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the, the bow... It, and I, and I say, I say really, honestly, you're, you should go to a bow shop that has an assortment. Um, you've come up to our shop in Rogers in other locations as well. Uh, you get to shoot a lot of bows throughout the year. I believe right now you're shooting a bow tech, but you're always playing, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Always looking for the next, uh, the next best thing. And um, what, uh, is there a difference between your indoor bow and an outdoor bow? Um, yeah, to me, I've, I've shot the same indoor bow for four, maybe five years now. Um, that bow was, was set up for indoors mm-hmm. and about 57 pounds, I believe. Um, I haven't touched or changed anything on that bow for four years. I, I don't take it outside and shoot it. It's when it leaves the range, it goes, uh, goes to another indoor shoot and that's it you know i uh i I don't want to touch that bow i don't want to change it i don't want to um start shooting a smaller arrow out of it for outdoor season anything like that um that's kind of my indoor bow um i i can pick it up 
after a, a month of break and, and feel like I uh, was just shooting it yesterday, you know, and that's, it's, you know, indoor archery is, is one thing. It's, it's 20 yards, but, but the goal is to hit the middle and, right. you know, it's, and I'm very comfortable with that bow. So that's, I, I don't want to change anything and then not find, um, you know, where I have it now. You, you do that sometimes is, make a couple of changes to a bow and it never feels the same again. Never, ever. So, you can even mark down what you're going to do and it still doesn't go back. And that's yeah. a huge misconception. I got a lot of bow hunter buddies and so do you, <clears throat> especially from Iowa. They say, well, indoor, 20 yards, man alive. You know, I can hit the white at 20 yards every time. <clears throat> yeah, right, is what I say. We're not trying just to hit the white. Uh, in the classes that we shoot and the competitors that we shoot against, if you don't, you have maybe, maybe one mistake in a three-day period, right? Most of the time, you can't make a mistake. you got to hit a dime at 20 yards every arrow. Now, duplicate that with standing on the line with some of the best shooters in the world. You have a little pressure. There's not a lot of area. There's no forgiveness, I should say. In indoor, so people who think indoor archery is easy, I invite you to try it and try scoring and see, and maybe maybe you'll have a different outcome. But I, I believe do you, now you bow hunt, Jason. I do. Yep. <clears throat> do you think it makes you? I mean, obviously you're going to be an awesome shot. You're an awesome shot. You got words to prove it, but that helps you in the dire situation of a big buck or a doe or an antelope or muley coming by. It helps. It helps a lot, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, just just shooting, you know, target archery or or, or any sort of, of archery as much as you can, you know, not just during hunting season, but but shooting shooting year round and, and more comfortable you get with your bows, you know, the better off you're going to be. You're you're going to know exactly where your anchor point is when when the time comes, or you know, if you have to make a, a longer shot, you're you're going to be comfortable doing that. You know, so yep. It's yeah. I, I would I would never stop practicing, regardless. You know, if I was just a hunter or or just a target archer. You know, I mean, there's there's seasons for both. So. Yep. Do you like high let off or low let off in your target rigs? I'd say I'm about in the middle, honestly. Okay. Um, I don't really know what a lot of the let off is on my bows. I mean, I know what the percentages are, but I go right. more off of holding weight. Okay. So, whatever and then so you know generally if it doesn't really matter what i'm pulling for draw weight whether it be 57 pounds 62 pounds you know etc yeah i always try to keep the, the same holding weight or or match it the best i can from bow to bow okay now like my holding weight about 16 <clears throat> to 17 pounds and holding weight for the cons the customers listening <clears throat> man i don't know what i swallowed but it's not working anyways Holding weight isn't it isn't your drawing weight. So for the bow hunters listening, the seventy pound bow, right? <clears throat> All the target archers are going to be in that fifty to sixty, unless you're a younger youth or a woman, you're going to be lower. But it's not how much you're pulling the first six, seven, eight, ten inches of your draw cycle. The holding weight is when you're at full draw. Is what you're speaking of. What's pulling against you? Obviously, it's yep. going to be sixty-five. 70, 75%, 80%, sometimes 85% of your total pulling weight. That's how they figure that. It's a mathematical equation. And <clears throat> if you can't do it on your own, 
the bow shop can do it. But you, you kind of you once you get your holding weight, it's a number that does you don't really like to leave because we, you know, if you're like me, which I think you kind of are, we have 300 releases down in our shop, but we're kind of accustomed to three or four that we stay with, probably two, one or two, you know, between you and I. But <clears throat> yeah, you kind of you once you get set up and you have success with something, you don't really venture off of that. Am I right? That's right. Yep. Um, I, you know, it, it, that doesn't mean you don't try stuff. Oh know, yeah. But, but if you're going to try something, you know, don't, don't make a huge jump, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're going to try a couple different releases, make sure you kind of keep them a little bit familiar with, with what you're familiar with. And then <clears throat> if you make too big of a change. You're, you, you're probably just not going to like it from, from the start. So, right. Are you a hinge shooter or button shooter? Hinge. Hinge. Yep. I've shot a hinge for pretty much ever since I started shooting competitively. I've I've shot the hinge. So I use, yeah. I use a handheld uh, a button release for hunting. Yep. But. Yep. All right. So we'll get back to that hinge. Uh, that just that kind of steers us in the right direction. So the bow, play around with it. Make sure you like it. The grip. Okay. Let's go to your setup. Uh, target archery. We shoot longer stabilizers. Uh, like the bullet sitting in front of me, I have a 30-inch stabilizer on the front with a 10-degree quick knuckle. And then on the back, I have a 12-inch stabilizer. Now, my weight ratio, <clears throat> I got set up for 3D right now. It's going to be like 10 or 11 ounces out front, 22, 24. I can't count this far away, but the ratio, there's there's secret, you know, air quotes, like Griv. He's got a little ratio that you go by or one to three or one to two and a half or whatever. That, that's almost as much as your bow as far as feel. Are you, do you agree? Do you run the same kind of setup on your for your target rigs? Yeah, yeah, very similar, very similar. Um, but my indoor bow now got a 33-inch front stabilizer. And I got six and a half ounces, I believe, on the front of that. Um, kind of depends on the time of year. I'll run anywhere from six to eight ounces. Mm-hmm. Um, then I run a 15 inch back bar with, uh, about 19 ounces on it. Okay. So, and yeah, I mean, if you use some of those formulas, that's a, that's a great way to start, you know, get you the right, right ball game yep. and then, and then make some changes from there for feel. Yeah. Right. And you're, so you, like I said, I have 30, if, if we were to take like bow to bow, uh, erase what's on the limb, but the stabilizer, I have a 30-inch, you have a 33. With a 33-inch stabilizer, you can get away with a little less weight. It's actually holding very similar to the same. Same with the back. Like, I have a 12-inch, and you just said you had a 15. And if we look at the weight ratio, you know, things are going to be just a little bit easier for you with a 15-inch bar versus me at a 12, right? Correct. Yep. And you've probably played with every length out there. You've kind of That's what you've kind of settled on, correct? Yeah, yeah, I jump around a little bit between uh, on the front bar between a thirty and a thirty-three. Um, I usually find my home with a with a thirty-three inch, mm-hmm. um, especially for shooting uh, for shooting any sort of a, a round target. Um, I feel like with a thirty-three inch stabilizer with my draw length, I feel like um, the, the bow moves a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Now with with three D, um, in the last year year and a half, I've been messing around with a 30 inch stabilizer on the 3d bow um and I, I my theory there is with the shorter bar um 
I can get maybe I can, I can maybe look around my pin a little bit if that makes sense to try to find my spot. It's, it's faster for my bow to get back on target, right? Versus with a thirty-three inch bar. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the the little inside tips. Like there's going to be a lot of them. So we'll you always have a rewind. You can just re- retract 30 seconds and hear what Jason just said on why he does that. And I encourage you to listen to this podcast three or four times because there's going to be a lot of things that you and I just roll through and off the tip of our tongue and we're no, you know, we kind of take it for granted. <clears throat> ah, like right. that, that little deal. So let's just keep going down the bow uh, since we're on the bow. We'll do arrows here in just a second. But stabilizers, uh, do you run on a back bar mount? Do you, is it completely adjustable, both your pitch or your windage up and down? Do you, do you have a favorite? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I got an AE gripper um, mount on there now. Um, it, it allows adjustment out and up and down in any any angle you want. Yep. Um, some of them on the market kind of limit you on one access. And, yep. And I, I don't like that. I don't want to be <clears throat> limited on something like that. So, And, you know, they, they adjust for a reason. You know, they um, once you uh, find the position you you think is the best, you know, um, you, you don't weld it in place. You know, it, it's adjustable, so you can, right. You know, if you're not happy with something, just change the angle of your back bar a little bit, or kick it out, add a little bit more bias on your bow, or or whatever. You know, those some of those little changes sometimes make make a big difference. Absolutely. And, <clears throat> and when you're shooting around, or you're practicing shooting around. A game around, however you want to say it, whether it be Vegas, five spot, five spot Vegas, world archery. Usually, <clears throat> you'll try things. I do at least. You tell me if you're different. Like, okay, early season, early tournament season, I'm playing a bunch. I'll stop halfway. I'll stop after six ends, and if things are just falling completely apart, I'll start over. But once I kind of have my setup going, <clears throat> and like you've had one for now three, four years, the same. Like, I won't stop in the middle of a game and mess with stabilizers and move things around. But after that game's done, then I will, then I'll shoot another game, and I'll see how my scores are relating. Do you do that? Yep, I do the same thing. Okay. I do the same thing. And I think, I think sometimes people will make a change if they don't give it enough time. Yeah, They might go shoot one end or two ends. <clears throat> well, yeah, and that's you nothing. Know, sometimes... Yeah, yeah. There's there's always a honeymoon phase with with anything you change. You know, um, you you can love it for the first ten minutes, but I always shoot a shoot a game like like you do, and then make a change, shoot another game, and uh, and your your scores kind of tell you which one you like more. So exactly. All right, moving up on the bow. What kind of rest are you using? <clears throat> um, spot hog edge swap. Okay, which so, is going to be a uh, blade style. It's a uh, yep, a lizard tongue blade blade style. Um, the head on this release is removable, um, and I, I really like that feature. Um, for for me, you know, I work all day. I don't have time to to go change a bunch of different setups and and tune tune my bows a bunch of different times. So with with this rest, what what it allows you to do is is if you ha- if you're shooting a a large diameter arrow out of your bow, like a 27 diameter arrow for indoors. And if you want to mess around with a, a, a 23 diameter arrow, so mm-hmm. you can you can simply just take the body of the rest off, 
put on a new body, adjust it for for the for your new arrow, and uh, and shoot it. You don't have to change the bow um, or take the rest completely off and, and reset everything. And if you don't like it, you can put your old body back on, and, and you're right back where where you were when you started. So you don't you never lose your zero. Right. So right. That's that's been very helpful to me over the years. Um, on several of those, have have them on every bow that I have. Uh, like a great rest, and and on that I used uh, about a ten thousandth narrow blade on for about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I used a narrow narrow blade from like twenty seven diameter arrows all the way down to uh, my skinning for outdoors. So, gotcha. Why? Uh, <clears throat> so on our hunting bows, we're using drop away rest. I use a ham ski, and then this year I actually am using the ultra rest, the TRI. Because I'm shooting a Matthews bow, so it's got the dovetail setup. But it's very similar yeah. to, like, and we sell the Spot Hog Edge Swaps in the shop. I think it's one of the greatest setups, and especially uh, for one of the, the great tournaments that we know of is Indoor Nationals, uh, when you may want to switch arrows in the same shoot, right? But yep. why, let me yep. ask you this, okay, target archer to target archer, because I sell a ton and you have a bunch of buddies and we see them and they're becoming more and more popular. The, the limb driven drop away rest in target archery has now, uh, I mean, they're winning tournaments with them. They have won tournaments with them. They're becoming, would you say at least half, if not more than half? Yeah, I would say so. And how long until all of us are shooting a limb driven? Do you think it'll ever happen or is there, what's your reasoning for shooting a lizard style. I want. I want to hear your personal reason why you shoot uh, a blade rest versus a drop away. <clears throat> well, simplicity. So there's really nothing to go wrong with a blade rest. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to travel somewhere and have something happen to my rest. It, what I mean by that is, is you know, limb driven rest or cable driven, whatever. It's driven off of a uh, a piece of string you know, more or yep. less, and there's, there's different strings you can use, but that string can become damaged. It can become stretched. There's, there's, there's more moving parts on your rest that, that can go wrong. Um, I kind of want to just eliminate all that. Yep. Um, now, now drop away rests are, are great. You, you get options. It, it does allow you more options for, for arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it makes tuning a little bit easier. Right. You can, you can add more vein to the back of your arrows mm-hmm. instead of a three fletch. You, you could then go to a four, a four fletch if you want. Yep. Um, I, I just kind of like to keep it simple in that area and uh, do what works. You know, they, they've been around forever, the, the blade rest, and there, there's really nothing there to go wrong. And that's, that's kind of what I like about that. Yep. And that's, that's the same reason that I do. Um, when I when I started in 2015 with taking target archery like serious, <clears throat> not just not just shooting my hunting bow, but buying a target rig, I just did whatever I seen on YouTube or you know wherever I was at at a tournament. Like, yep, I gotta have this. Yep, I gotta have this. <clears throat> I didn't really know why. And then the only time, the only time, where a blade has ever cost me is we were shooting a field round and it was 27, 29 mile an hour winds. And I never put an arrow back on a rest more in my life than I did that round. 
where <laughs> if you would have had a Hamski Trinity for sale at the booth, I would have took an equipment failure bake and went and bought one, you know. Um, but you can control that with blade width. You can, there's the, when I would say 99% of the time you're going to use a drop away rest for any hunting situation. If not 100% of the time, you're going to. A whisker biscuit, obviously, for some. In target archery, you can go both, and there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, like Jason's saying, you can tune a drop away maybe just a snitch easier. You got to know what you're doing with the blade rest. There's not only your windage and your elevation and center of the burger hole and center shot, but we can control the pitch. We can control the stiffness of the blade. We can even talk about torque tuning, which uh, we probably will. And Do you torque tune? I do. Yep. So, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the tuning aspect, but rest, rest is rest. Okay. So let's move on. A, a site, and we don't really have to get it carried away with sites. We know where we're at on that, but talk to me about lenses. <clears throat> what power lenses and what are you using for a reticle indoor? And then when we move to outdoor here in a couple months. <clears throat> so indoor, I shoot a six power lens. Um, shoot that through a small diameter scope. Uh, it's a 29-millimeter, 30-millimeter scope. Um, so six power for indoor, and I shoot a what I consider a rather large black dot okay. um, stuck onto my lens. So my black dot at 20 yards on a Vegas face um, will cover about two-thirds of the yellow. So about um, it'll cover about half of the nine ring, I guess you could say. Yep. So, And that that's going to depend for... Or, or change for everybody. The same dot size um, doesn't work for everybody. So your, your draw length will have an effect on that. You know, how far the scope is away from you, the power of your lens, you know, that, that kind of changes stuff. But, yeah, for outdoors, um, like for outdoor target or field archery, I'll, uh, I'll still shoot a six-power lens. Um, for, t- for target archery, I'll, I'll probably stick with a, a black dot. That's, that's usually what I what I do sometimes it's the same lens as what I shoot for indoors. Okay. Um, for field archery, um, or safari style of shoot. Um, what I've been using for the last several years, it's actually 60,000, um, fiber. So it's, um, 60,000 diameter. I run it about, I don't know, half three quarters of an inch long. And my light comes down through the top of my housing mm-hmm. and shines on the side. And, and lights it up. So I have some vision issues, and, and with a smaller fiber or a smaller dot, um, it gets really blurry. Sometimes I'll see two or three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I shoot a, a 60,000 fiber um, for outside, it, it's much clearer. So, and usually I'm shooting at a, you know, if you're shooting at a, an orange dot or or a, a field, you know, face, you know, there, there's a center center to aim at. So right. just put that uh, big green fiber in the middle and it seems to work out pretty well. I can see it well. Um, you know, it's, it's, I've never had a problem with it getting bright enough. It uh, definitely collects plenty of light. So. Right. And do you, are you dropping down for 3D target or not? Yeah, 3D. I'll definitely go a little smaller. Um, usually play around with the 15 to 19 thousandths. Yeah. Um, have a little bit bigger, but again, that's a, a green fiber. 
Right. And so I, we shoot virtually the same thing. And <clears throat> the reason that I go with a, a six power, I have to be able to see the target. I don't want to be guessing, you know, down there. I want to be able to see the X ring. Six power does that for me. I'm 29, 29 and a half inch draw, depending on the day or the bow. But the reason that I go with a bigger dot, and I have perfect 20-20 vision, but what I do when I have a six-power lens, the bigger the dot, the less movement <clears throat> I have on a Vegas face or a five-spot, so it creates less anticipation to where I can actually go through my shot routine smoother. Do you agree? Yep, that's right. And that's, yeah, I, I would agree with that 100%. You know, like, you know, on a Vegas face, my, my black dot, you know, like I said, covers up a majority of the yellow. And as long as my black dot is in the yellow, um, I, I'm good to go. Right. You know, if I was to shoot a smaller dot where it only covers the X ring or the 10 ring, I would, not that I would, I, I do. I have a hard time keeping it centered because there's just more room in there for it to move. And that's, that definitely changes my execution. So, perfect. And, and and the big fiber outside is you know the same mm-hmm. same concept as that. So, and then for for bow hunting, just because you're a bow hunter and an outdoorsman, um, you just shooting like a, a a single pin or a multiple pin, or what do you do for bow hunting? Um, usually, mm-hmm. use about three pin, a three pin adjustable sight. Yep. Um, Nineteen thousand fiber again there. So. Nice. Nice. Nothing nice. too fancy. Yep, it works. Simplicity. And a lot of your bow hunting shops, you know, um, I, I kind of really fell in love with the free pin site the last couple of years. Um, free pins is usually plenty for hunting in hunting in timber, you know, in, in Iowa. I mean, yep. a lot of your shots are not that far anyways. But if I'm hunting a field edge, you know, I have the option to reach out beyond what my third pin is set at. So exactly. I like that option. And you have instant gratification. You have 20, 30, 40, right off, right poop, there. I mean, that's like most people will set it up. Some people do different. But yeah. and then 41 through 100, <clears throat> we can play. Or if you have a dual indicator, you can play fine-tune. But in the heat of the moment, there's not a lot of time to think about things like that. You just pick it up and rock it. Yep, exactly. <clears throat> okay, so let's talk about releases. I'm a hinge shooter. <clears throat> a lot of our listeners know that I shoot a hinge 90, 99% of the time. I've tried a button. You've been with me when I've tried a button at a tournament. It doesn't go so well. Um, <laughs> I don't even shoot a button for deer hunting. Uh, I feel that I can dump a hinge if I'm in a if I'm in a moment where I have to get rid of it, I can dump a hinge and it's not, you know, we've heard some of our or the pro shooters out there talk about there's no, it's just a gradual slope to the bottom. It's not a hard fall. Uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a command shooter. Um, we watched one of the world's best 3d archers, uh, Robert householder go to the rumble with you. He's a command shooter. He admits to it that he's a command shooter and he won the tournament as a command shooter. So there's nothing wrong with command shooting. If you can control it, I cannot control it. I can't control it for more than a couple of shots. That's why I shoot a hinge. But give me your philosophy on the hinge. <clears throat> give me your philosophy on why you do what you do. Do you shoot three finger, four, two finger? And then let's go through our whole shot process. Well, releases are 
kind of one of those things. If you if you can think about it or you know want to try something different, there's probably somebody that makes one. I mean, there's there's a lot of releases on the market, um, a lot of companies, a lot of different styles. Um, honestly, when when I first started with the hinge, I when I first learned how to shoot a hinge, I didn't shoot a bow for probably probably a month, maybe I, I want to say a little bit over a month, maybe. I just um, shot with the through a shot trainer. Okay. Um, because when I first started with the hinge, I was afraid I was going to uh, misfire my bow or punch myself in the face with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, just just I had to get used to it first. But once once I got used to that. Um, I, I fell in love with the hinge and, and I'm the same, same way with you with, with the button. Um, I can shoot one really well, um, for a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that doesn't work for me long run. Um, so sticking with the hinge, um, and I, I do try a couple different styles of hinges, um, a couple different brands. And then, you know, within those brands you have, uh, what, what you have a, uh, a click or no click. So mm-hmm. I personally have been shooting for the last couple of years with no click. Um, really? So with, with a click, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So with the click, um, you know, the way I had them set up is, is I would come to full draw, just get to my anchor and kind of settle in and it would click. And then I would uh, execute my shot and that's, that's how I set, had those set up. Um, a couple of years ago, probably yeah, it's probably been about two years now. Um, I was shooting at a, a tournament in Illinois. I was about halfway through the second day, and and my release wouldn't go off. Um, I was shooting a hinge um, with a click, and it wouldn't go off. I, I couldn't get it to go off. The you know you're on the clock. You know you know what, what do you do? So I started dumping my hinge release. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I finished the tournament that way. Um, didn't really know what to think about it. Um, but prior to that, I feel like I had a very good um, release execution. It's, I never had to think about it, never questioned it. I aimed my bow. My hinge went off when, when it was supposed to. I didn't have to think about it. Um, I, I was never delayed on it. It, it was perfect. Um, one day it, it, it all went away and I, I don't know what it was. Um, I'm starting to realize that now I believe it's uh, a little bit of, uh, I guess anticipation or scared you're going to miss. Um, but went through that tournament. Um, it took me quite some time to kind of get over that. Um, and, and during that period, uh, I'm still getting over it, honestly. Um, and, and during the last, you know, a couple of years, I've made a lot of changes on my releases. Um, and that's, and that's when I went to no click. Um, I was talking to a couple of guys, uh, a friend of mine kind of had the same situation happen to him at a tournament. And, uh, and he went to no click as well. Um, so I kind of made the change at the same time and, and it's been great. It's, it's definitely helping me. Um, it, it sneaks back every once in a while. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to call it, target panic but what i'm going to call it is is when i get nervous at a tournament and my left arm is moving more than normal yeah um, and what i mean is my sight picture is is more erratic yep. my right hand quits working 
that my the 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 brain that's in between my two hands says if my left one is moving too much, then my right one is going <laughs> to quit moving because. It's you know, <clears throat> for people who have never experienced it, or if there's, I mean, and there's people that they they don't even know what they're dealing with, right? It amazes me, yeah, how strong we are mentally. Um, from preparing to to everything, travel, getting there, eating healthy, doing the whole nine yards, it amazes me that we are not mentally strong enough to overcome. That pro that what you just said, if the pin is not in the center, you can it. I and I will say it. I it it it's not physically impossible, but <clears throat> it's mentally physically impossible to make the release go off sometimes when the pin's not exactly set. You know. Yeah. I don't know yep. why, but I mean, obviously we've overcome that. But I, I like I shoot my hunting. My hunting hinge has no click. Uh, I do it for more as the fact that. I don't, I think maybe it's probably not going to scare an animal, but that's the reason I did it is so that there is no noise, but I guess I've never, sure. I've never really tried it on the range. I've always had a click and, and I shoot a nose button now, but when I get back and as soon as I touch my nose on the string, it, it like every time it's click and then I just execute. So it's kind of like a, Hey dummy, pay attention. We're there. Uh, but you're you're from drawn to shooting you you don't have an indication click or anything nope nope and that um i i feel like what the click was was doing for me was it was letting me know that i was kind of close to being on the edge so i would i would kind of stop my execution almost right after the click mm-hmm um, Without a click, I can keep the rotation going, not kind of knowing where I'm at, and that that helps me. It, it's helped me over the last year or so try to get over um, my anticipation problems with my release. Um, mm -hmm. Now I, I can shoot at home, and and I can shoot fine. You know, I can go to uh, smaller tournaments where the pressure isn't as bad, and and everything works fine. Yep. Um, now it's a couple of a couple of my bigger wins. Um, you know, admit it or not, but I've uh, I've dumped my hinge release on a lot of it. Yep. And that's not what I want to do, but I feel like it's what I need to do to get through the tournament. Right. Um, then then I come home and prepare for the next one and get as much of that out of my system as I can. Right. And then uh, go into the next tournament and you know I've, I've heard people say before that. Um, you know, some other pro archers that, that talk and you, you kind of have to do what, what you need to do to get through that tournament. Yep. So <clears throat> I, I feel like if I didn't do that, I, I wouldn't have scored as good. Right. Now it, it's not something long-term that I, that I want to do, but, yep. um, yeah. So without the, <clears throat> without the click, um, I draw my bow, I run a fairly slow release, I want to say. So it, it takes, um, I got to have my hand. I'm, I'm not going to say it takes a lot of rotation to start. I start with it rotated um, a fair amount. Mm -hmm. um, but come to full draw and I come to anchor and and um, just execute my shot. And now with, with my hands, I, I kind of I'm working a couple different ways there. Um, sometimes it 
it just goes off with, without thinking about it. And that's, that's the best. Yep. Um, sometimes, sometimes <clears throat> to get it to fire, um, you know, a hinge release has to be rotated to, to make it go off. You know, right. you, you can pull on it all day long and it's, it's not going to fire. It has to rotate. So whether you relax your index finger a little bit or you squeeze your ring finger a little bit, or I, I do shoot a three finger. Okay. So sometimes I'll just start, um, curling up my pinky finger a little bit. Um, you know, those are all ways to make fire. Right. Now, sometimes if you just flatten out your wrist, when you flatten out your wrist, your hand will rotate and it'll make the release fire. There's, there's all kinds of ways to do it. I, I don't know if, if one is right and one is wrong. I think it's whatever. I don't know if there's two people out there that do it the same way. So, you know, just, you know, if you're, if you're out there and you want to try a hinge and, you know, just find a couple of ways to make them to execute and then see which one works best for you, really. <clears throat> yeah, you got to, you got to play. And, and the, so a hinge, back to earlier conversation. Like, don't try it for two ends and then switch. You have to, right. if there's any piece of equipment out there besides arrows, <clears throat> like, you have to give it some time because you have to be able to repeat it. You got to be able to, I mean, I have a really good friend of mine that just went to a hinge. He's been shooting it for a month. And he, he you know, and he's educated enough. He's like, well, I think I need to go to a fast click. Well, I pick up his hinge and before I even get anchored, the hinge went off. And I'm like, well, you don't, I don't think you need to be any faster. I think you need to realize how you're drawing it and your hand position anchor. So take us, take us through your shot. So you, you hook up your release, take us right from start to finish on just to, just to go through a shot in your mind. Well, I'll try to explain it the best I can. Um, Again, it kind of starts back at the grip. You know, when I put my hand in, in my bow, um, I don't have to adjust it. It's, it feels at home as soon as it slides into place. Um, I, I rest my bow on my, my back stabler. I rest it on my hip um, when I'm not shooting. So that takes a little bit of pressure off of your left arm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing you don't want to have get tired is, is your left arm, you know, so... I rest uh, my stabilizer sits onto my hip. My hand is in my grip, and my release is on is on my D loop, and that you know kind of sets your hand in your in your in your grip, and uh, you know gets that where it needs to be. So when I you know I raise my bow up, I, I don't go much above target. I draw fairly level. Um, kind of going back to some people that. Um, that teach there's one thing for me is, is shoulder position so if I raise my bow too high when, when I'm starting my draw cycle um, I have a hard time getting my shoulders back down to where they should be so that's one thing that I focus on a lot is I'll, I draw my bow fairly level and then I'll relax my shoulders and make sure they're make sure they're dropped down um I can tell if, if I'm shooting and my shoulders are raised up. Yep. It doesn't feel comfortable. My, my pin movement is, is erratic. Um, so I raise my bow up about uh, level, maybe maybe a little bit over level. Um, and then uh, draw my bow back and, and come to anchor. And 
anchor is another very important part, and we can talk about that a little bit more later. But um, bring the spring up to my face. I, I don't uh, use a lot of face pressure, um, just enough to know, I guess, where your spring is at. Mm-hmm. Um, come to anchor, uh, make sure my shoulders are relaxed, and and then from that, I'm not, I'm not a big puller. I, I don't pull hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I pull enough to, uh, to hold the bow back and probably not much more than that. So um, as, as soon as I as soon as soon I come to, to full draw, my pin is pretty much about on the target. I don't start a foot above it. I don't start below it. I, I draw, and it's, it's pretty much there. Um, to me, if, if I'm starting above the target and I'm lowering it down slowly, that's, that's time that, that that wasted time is going to break me down faster. So I'll put my pin on the target as, as, as fast as I can, uh, make sure my shoulders are relaxed, make sure my grip is relaxed, and, uh, and then execute your hinge release, how, however you do that. Um, usually, I would say most of the time, I am uh, I do rotate the release. Um, I, that, now, what, what I mean by that is, like my ring finger, I'll, I'll apply a little bit more pressure there, you know, or I'll pull my back a little bit and apply a little bit more pressure with my ring finger. Um, just keep applying that pressure, keep the pin in the middle, and uh, the shot goes off. So, and then uh, follow through is important. I think that's just as important as, uh, as the first part of your shot. Um, and kind of the way I explain that to friends is, you know, if you're uh, – you know, you're you're pulling on your on your on your um, string, right? So when when your when when my shot breaks, I'm continuing to pull. I don't I don't stop pulling. Um, I, I don't stop my hand right away. I, I let my hand go back where where it, it's natural. Um, if you watch Jesse Broadwater, he he shoots his release goes off and his and his hand comes back. You know that mm-hmm. that follows. Just like if you were to pound a nail in with a hammer, you know when you're when you're swinging at that nail, you're you're hitting the head of, of the of the nail. Yep. If you miss the nail, <clears throat> your hammer goes past the nail and hits the wood. Yep. You know, if if you were to stop that, you would have to stop that hammer so it doesn't hit the wood. Right. Your follow through is not there. You know, <clears throat> the same thing with a with a baseball or golf clubs or anything like that. So. The follow through, you know, I, I try to look through my bow and, and watch the arrow hit the pin or watch the arrow hit the target. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a tough thing to explain, I, I think. Oh, yeah, it, but you did a great job. You painted a perfect picture. <clears throat> Even for non-advanced target archers, we have a, a – there was a nice picture there that you painted on it. <clears throat> and, and everything is, like you say, not every archer – there's not – there's none of us that are the same ever. I mean, you could take 60 of us on Vegas and put us on the line and you could video all of them and it'll look somewhat similar. The only thing I think would be somewhat similar is the follow through, you know, like I, I really try to go. I, when I think about it, I exaggerate it. But when, when I shoot my hand kind of goes past my earlobe and kind of right behind my head a little bit, maybe I'd have to watch a video again. Some guys, they try to yeah. make, you know, flex their bicep. <clears throat> you're, you're still doing the same thing. Just like 
it has to keep going. And then, and I always, especially longer distance, like when we go to Reading or a field round where we're shooting 88 or 70 meter shoot or anything like that, like I try to watch, it's kind of impossible to do, but I try to watch the arrow impact the target through my scope. You know what I mean? I'm keeping my bow arm up is what I'm saying. Yep. Yep. And I incorporate the same thing through my hunting. Like when I shoot, at a buck, rather it be at 18 yards or 68 yards, not a buck, any deer, whatever, and a turkey or a gopher, whatever you're shooting at. Like I watch that lighted knock or the fletchings impact my target before my left hand ever goes down and I'm a right-handed shooter. So I, I think that adds a little bit to your follow-through, you know, is keeping your yeah. hand up. It, it may not seem it right now when it's, 38 below and we're all shooting indoor and it's 20 yards it, i mean you and i know when we drop our bow arm but for the yeah. most of the shooters out there but you will notice when you step back out to 40 to 80 yards that as fast as that string and arrow are going forward if you deviate a 32nd of an inch at your rest at 80 yards it's about eight inches you know absolutely yep so let's talk uh we've talked releases execution rest sights stabs i really wanted to save this kind of towards the end <clears throat> and that is tuning um one tell us the diameter shafts i i kind of i'm gonna let you take over on this but like what diameter shafts and why you use them for different situations and then as soon as you're done with that we're gonna dive into this tuning the animal the rabbit hole of tuning and I think if there's four guys on the planet that have this nailed down, you're one of them. And uh, we'll go through that with a fine-tooth comb. But So we're probably going to guess 27 series arrow for indoor. Correct, yep. And so let's move outside. What, what different diameter arrows and why? What have you seen over the last 10 years that you, that you think is working the best for you? Well, there's definitely been a change over the last several years to the micro diameter arrows. Um, you know, some, some companies have had those arrows around forever, you know, and they've, they've really been around forever. Um, you, you kind of see that hunting, hunting industry as well is, is there's a lot of companies coming out with smaller and smaller arrows every year. Um, I personally shoot the, uh, the, the Pierce tours for, for outdoors. Um, they're a, a micro diameter arrow. Um, for, for a couple of reasons is, um, wind is for one. Um, I think, I think the, the wind on those arrows is, is uh, it'll pull your arrow a little bit less than, than, uh, you know, a larger diameter arrow, obviously. So, and, you know, really that only comes into play when you're shooting, you know, I don't know, 40, 40 plus yards outside. Yeah. So. Go to a shoot like fighting where, where you have to shoot 100 yards and, and the wind can be blowing somewhere between you and the target. Um, you know, a smaller diameter arrow is just, it's just going to drift less. Um, I've, some people have a problem getting them to tune. Um, I've never really had that problem, I guess. Um, and then um, I guess another reason would be like a, like a target archery game, um, like First Dakota Classic, let's say, where you're shooting a single spot. Um, you know, you're, you're not going to go out there and shoot, uh, shoot five, uh, triple X's into, uh, 
into a single spot target. They're just, they're just not going to fit. Right. Um, you know, glance off be a little bit less with a, with a micro diameter arrow. Um, I might play with something a little bit different this year and go to a, like a standard two, uh, 0.246 diameter. Maybe give those a try, but they've got a pretty good selection of arrows with, with about every spine that they make. Um, so when, when I'm going through and picking an outdoor arrow, um, I have um, spines from 250 to, to 400. So I can, I can shoot, shoot those and uh, see which one groups the best. Um, that's the arrow I shoot. So. I love it. <clears throat> that brings us right into tuning. Because you just talked. Sorry, you just talked about spine. That's a major thing. If you don't know what we're talking about, Arrow has a spine. We hear every <clears throat> thing. Some people will say, well, the number on the side is telling us how heavy the arrow is. No, that's not it. And then we'll have some guys, bless their heart, that'll say, well, it's spine. And no, it's not. It's spine. S-P-I-N-E. This is a very, very important part that... It's it's almost better if you let your pro shop do it if you have any questions. But most of our most of our arrow manufacturers, from Victory to Easton to Gold Tips website, shoot you on Gold Tips website, you can build the whole arrow, and it'll tell it'll tell you what you need. <clears throat> Victory is very similar, but you got to have the correct spine. And if you let's say you're gonna you're Jason and you're shooting fifty seven pounds or you're shooting sixty two. If you're a 30 inch draw or 20 and nine inch draw or something, I mean, all that's going to change. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And if you yep. change your tip weight, you may have to spine up a little stiffer spine. Um, there's a lot of things. And Jason has a, a contract with an arrow company. So that's why he has so many arrows, but let's go down the tuning route after. Okay. I got the arrow. I think it's going to work. Take us through your tuning process. And then I'll stop you off and on and kind of ask you why this, why that. But let's say our bow's built. We're ready to go. I think everything's kind of kind of where it is. I got my arrows built and they're fletched. Maybe a bear shaft sitting there next to it. What am I going to do next? Well, I think it starts when you built your arrows. Um, and what I mean by that is when, when I build my arrows, um, like my, my outdoor arrows are about 28 and a half inches long, um, 28 and a quarter, 28 and a half. I will find, and my arrows come in a blank that's, that's 32 inches long. So I'll find the straightest 28 and a half inches of that arrow. And that's, and, and that's the part that I cut, whether it be three inches off of one end or a half inch off the other. Um, I find the straightest arrow I can. Um, and then from there, what, what I do is I've, I've done this a couple of different ways. Um, so there's a couple of ways you can do it is I, I built my arrows with, with tips, um, for outdoor arrows. I shoot, uh, pin bushings and pin knocks. Um, so if, if you start with, with now, now when you start putting your components in your arrows, that that's an important part too. So, um, I weigh everything, make sure that, uh, my tips and, and my, and my pin bushings are, are weighed out the same versus my shafts. So if I have some arrow shafts that are um, a little bit uh, lighter than the others, and if I have some, some tips that are coming in a little bit heavier than the others, I'll pair those up so that at the end they, they equal out as, as best as they can. Um, 
I'll, I'll spin all my arrows and make sure that um, I use hot milk um, on both ends. So that's the glue that you basically heat up and um, you, you glue your tips in with that. And then um, if you want to remove them or twist them, you can, you can heat it up and uh, pull the tip right out. Um, that's a lot better than super glue. Super glue is pretty much uh, pretty permanent by the time you get done with that. So yep. um, I'll, I'll spin my arrows um, usually just in, in my hand and make sure that the, the tips are straight. So if you get one that, that's wobbling a little bit, um, usually before my glue is set, I'll, I'll twist the tip a little bit and you'll find the sweet spot where the arrow and the tip, um, will, will match up and it'll, it'll spin, spin true. So from there you can, you can take them down and shoot them through paper. Um, sometimes I do that, um, all bear shaft. Um, and, and you're not really looking for the, the perfect pair. What, what you're looking for is to, for them all to carry the same. Um, you, you can worry about getting the perfect pair later when you, when you get into your bow. Um, sometimes I'll do them bare. Sometimes I'll do them with fletching on it. Um, so. And another name for this for, is, is knock tuning. Are you, is that what your correct. process you're on? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I try to, I, I don't call it knock tuning myself because the knock is going on to your string. I'm, I'm a picky person. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> very picky when it comes to you know, a few things like this, but the, the knock is going on to your string in the same direction every time, right? So you're, you're turning the arrow to find where it shoots the best, you know? Um, so we could say shaft index? Or... <laughs> I think that's, that's the best way of saying it, yeah. Cause right. Your knock is still horizontal you know right it's, it's the same it's the same no matter what you do you're spinning the arrow <laughs> yeah yeah so um my my indoor arrows i'll shoot those out of the hooter shoot so i will knock tune those arrows until they all shoot the same hole um and that's that's really all that matters when, when it comes down to it so is is your arrows how do they group and and you know will they all the same hole um and that doesn't always mean that you have a perfect tune on your bow but my outdoor arrows you know shoot them all through paper get them all to carry the same whether you do it with or without veins um if you do it without um sometimes it'll it'll eliminate a need to um cut veins off later and and turn those veins and and uh flex your arrow and um, I guess wh- whatever degree it is from, from where your veins were before, whenever that would end up. But Right. Um, well, let me step back here. No, so if, if you paper tune them, bear shaft, that may change when you fletch. Um, sometimes that does, sometimes it doesn't. So okay. if, you, if you do it before or after, um, usually if you do it after you fletch, um, turn your arrows so they all tear the same, then, then you know your arrows are good to go. So th- then I, then I move on to my bow. So I'll shoot my bow through, uh, through paper at, you know, about six yards, five to six yards usually. Um, and, and that, that's my rough start. So, um, 
whatever whatever that tells me. So if, if you're getting a, a left tear, right tear, um, make your adjustments for that, whether it be through your refs or through some, some bus cables or through shimming your cams, um, you know, whatever you need to do there. Mm-hmm. Each, each manufacturer's got uh, got kind of a different setup with that. Um, but I'll get the best paper tear I can. Then what I do is, is I'll shoot uh, bear shafts at 20 yards. Um, and I'll get those. So basically, I'm, I'm shooting a bear shaft. Um, I, I usually never go more than 20 yards. I don't, I don't really see the need for that myself. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if my bear shaft will hit at 20 yards, that's, that's pretty dang good. So, you, and so the, the reason I do both is for, for my hunting bow, I, I usually don't go to this extent. I'll shoot it through paper, and that's that's usually good enough. But when I'm if I'm shooting my target bows and, and I'm shooting longer distances, and I'm trying to get every point that I can, um, I try to build everything I can so it's so it's more forgiving. So the, the better the tune, I believe, the more forgiveness it's going to give you in the long run. So shooting through paper. That doesn't mean if you get a perfect bow hole through paper, that doesn't mean you're going to have a good bear shaft. So I'll also bear shaft tune, get that as close as I can, double check it through paper. That's usually all I do for, for my, my indoor bows. Now, outdoor bows, that's, that's when it uh, becomes a lot more involved in my opinion. So mm-hmm. then, then what matters is, is how do the arrows group downrange? And that's, that's really what matters. And just because you start with a good tune, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end with a good tune when you find what makes your arrows group the best downrange. So if I'm shooting 80 yards, um, I'll, I'll tweak my rest up or down or left or right and uh, see if, if my groups get smaller. Uh, maybe adjust my poundage a little bit. Um, and that comes back to the arrow spine. So I can tweak my poundage up or down a pound or, you know, half a pound and, and see if that makes a difference on grouping. And basically what that's doing is, is it's tweaking your, your arrow spine just a little bit. Um, you know, it's putting less or more um, pressure into your arrow, which makes it uh, flex more or less. Um, so long range, that's what I do there. Um, sometimes that can be, be fairly involved. Um, sometimes it'll uh, make you pull your hair out. Yeah. Really, but. <laughs> it's fun though. It's rewarding. Um, and I, so I, when I met Jason and then uh, a really good friend of both of ours is Jake Gleets, who we is kind of, I'd safely say he's probably one of the better shooters in the state of Minnesota. If not the best, he's had some excellent wins. Um, he shoots, shoots the pro class. <clears throat> he's actually was going to be on this podcast and he's getting ready for fully Alabama ASA at the moment. But when I met <clears throat> Jason and Jake, I thought I knew what I was doing about tuning. Come to find out I was way off and, uh, I've took their advice and I've done, I've gone down the same rabbit hole. Uh, I've learned that indoor arrows don't really matter. Um, when I set up a right. bow and when we're, I mean, we're setting up target bows probably once a week maybe you know two or three a week when it's busy indoor season kind of sucked this year for bow builds but like my stuff you know i can set it i can build a bow in a half hour and usually 
just by eyeing things up and getting there with some measurements, I'm, I'll be able, I know my arrows and I know the tip weight that I'm going to usually run and indoor as long, as long as I got a decent tear standing here at 15 feet. Um, <clears throat> then I just go to the range and, and, and just start shooting, you know, but anything that I'm going to do past that 20 yard mark, even 3d have incorporated the long range tuning into changing spine, changing tip weight. Um, we'll go over to Jake's and use the Hooter shooter so that they're hitting the same hole. We're all virtually shooting the same arrows, shafts, you know, for, just depending on size. But w- we kind of do the same thing, and we're getting a lot of the same results as long as you do your job behind the release. Our arrow and our bow builds are the same. You know, unlike if, if you and I got into a situation, granted our peep height's different, but we could probably figure it out and, and use different you know, we could use each other's stuff, uh, which isn't all bad, but that means that we're kind of, we kind of go down the same path. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> now you're hunting, your hunting bow. You say you don't go as elaborate, elaborate, um, but you're still tuning it. You're still, still playing shimming if you need to broadhead tuning. Um, that's a, a lot of, a lot of things have picked up in the last year that people are starting to broadhead tune. And if you, I think if you do what we've been talking about a little bit, you, you virtually eliminate the broadhead tune because it takes care of it. Uh, the bear shaft is what I'm saying. Do you agree? Yep. Yep. I, yeah. If, if my hunting bow will shoot a bear shaft at 20 yards and hit the 10 ring or the X ring, um, I'd say 90% of the time I do shoot a mechanical broadhead. So 90% of the time it'll hit exactly in line with my field tips. So, right. And that's where, you know, broadhead tuning will, you know, some people will, 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 you know, screw on a broadhead and the arrow will hit, you know, six inches off one way or the other. So that probably means you have a little bit of a base there. Right. So something you need to get, get cleaned up there. So. And a, a thing about it, when we're talking about building components, when you build a target shaft, there's more yeah. components. There's more components. Hello. There's more components than, uh what else is involved with just like a hunting shaft, but we're making sure when we cut either the center arrow, the end of the arrow or the end of the arrow, we're, we're making sure that our arrow shaft is completely straight. Um, we're, I have a little, I'm trying to think of the brand. I think it's G five squaring device. I square the end of my arrows. You doing that? I do. Yep. Absolutely. Because, and I think a lot of people focus on the point end of the arrow or the insert end of the arrow where you're screwing in your point, but believe it or not, and I've, I've proved this to myself, the knock end of the arrow is just as important or more important, uh, than the tip end when it comes to straightening, making sure your components are put in perfectly, uh, like Jason OCD can be a terrible thing to have in our world of archery. But it also makes, because it doesn't matter if you grab arrow number one or arrow number 11, or if we're shooting a field round, or if we're shooting a a world shoot where we're shooting, you know, 10 arrows into a center or nine or wherever we're at, uh, you got to be confident in every arrow shaft. And if you build them right, it's very rewarding. And it's also, you pick up the points you need. Or you harvest the animal. Yeah, I, I don't uh, enjoy building arrows. I don't know many who do. Um, 
I'm going to try to make sure I got it right the first time. Right. <laughs> That's what, when I started working at the shop a couple years ago, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I love fletching arrows. I love, I, I'll do all the arrows. Now when someone says they come in and they're like, hey, can, can I get my arrows fletched? If I could, I'd go hide. I'd run to the other <laughs> side. I mean, it's the worst thing in the world. It's cool, like my arrows, because I'm doing a dozen at a time, and it's mine. And I, I usually stay with like three colors in my whole, all of my veins out there. I don't really, I just go with what I like, and I do it. And it's not, you know, I'll, I'll switch veins once in a while to try it. We didn't talk about veins, <clears throat> um, but I think people get the gist of what we're doing. Uh, big vein for inside. Making it spin as fast yep. as we can. A little vein for outside. Uh, do you? What's your yep. favorite favorite veins out there? Well, the veins I shoot for indoors they are um, um, the AAE um, hybrid, four inch. Um, some, they they stick well. Uh, they perform great on my triple uh, uh, X arrows, twenty seven diameter arrows. Um, outdoors, um, I, I play with a lot. Actually, I I have bags and bags of veins and and I just try to find again what what groups the best you know so once I get done with with an arrow and, and a tune that I find that groups the best um, with um, you know X vein on there sometimes I'll take those arrows and uh, or you know four of them maybe maybe five strip strip the veins off and, and put on uh, one that's a little bit longer or, or a different profile uh, maybe a different height and see if that group um, gets gets even a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, outside, I think I'm shooting a Q2i Fusion Fusion 2X uh, XL, I believe, or something like that. Uh, it was like the inch and three quarter long vein, um, pretty small. Yep. Um, seemed to work out very well on there. Happy with those. Um, but I'm happy with a lot of veins. There's you know, there's a lot of them out there, and uh, they all have their place. That's for sure. Absolutely, and and Jason, you're like you say, you're on the board for the state of Iowa, and also some other setups. You are a very avid shooter. Um, you have a lot of friends in that that shoot. <clears throat> you don't have to be a professional, and you don't have to go to the big shoots that we're talking about. You, if you're an avid hunter, or you just want to get into the target world, there's enough between. I say Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and the Dakotas, like your whole year could be planned just with those five states. And it could be, uh, you could shoot a field round in the summer. I think it's one of the most enjoyable uh, besides shooting 3D. Uh, 3D is the closest thing to a hunting system, right? Uh, You don't have to go there and you don't have to do the scoring rings if you don't want. You don't even have to keep score. You can just center punch them like you're going to try to kill an animal. Um Field, I I don't know if there's anyone else out there that agrees, but field is probably the funnest besides a safari shoot uh, style. There's a couple of those. But even indoor, um, like sh- join a league. Get with some buddies. I know it's a little tough with COVID, but things are starting to relax, and we're starting, like we have leagues at the shop, but like it, it forces you to get in a routine and that routine forces you to have a practice and a practice makes you do repeatability and the repeatability pretty soon you're going to be drilling the same 12 ring or the same x ring at 
you know, 40 yards that you used to be able to do at 20. And then, you know, you're more confident in when the deer steps out at 31. And then you don't even have to be a hunter. Um, Jason, you and I have both have a, a bunch of friends that they don't hunt. They just shoot literally their, their shops full of target bows and they shoot tournaments. They may go on a hunt once in a while, but it's not their life. You know, target archery is. It, it, there's a warning you if you go down the rabbit hole there may not be no return but you, you can take it as serious as you want or not as serious as i mean do you agree with me absolutely yeah i mean archery it's kind of a sport for everybody you know it's you can you can make it as serious as you want or you can you can do it once a year you know you can do it once a day so it's it's purely up to you there you know if you, you can you know, like you mentioned, you you can hunt and not shoot target archery, or you can shoot target archery and not hunt, you know. Yep. And before we wrap this up, just to give our listeners a little in-depth, I practice when I, when I, let's say, okay, so you have virtuals coming up, and then from there it's probably going to be maybe Redding, uh, or Indoor Nationals, sorry, Indoor Nationals, then Redding. Um, how, how many days of the week you're practicing and how many games per day are you shooting? So if, if there's a tournament, um, coming up, let's just say I, I have a tournament in a month. Um, I'll be shooting, you know, going up to that tournament, I'll shoot three to four days a week. Now, two weeks out of that tournament, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shoot every day. So I have, a archery range in my house so i don't have to drive anywhere in the winter time which is uh very nice mm-hmm. i can um uh, walk out there and, and shoot when i want um that's something i've always wanted um you know it's, it's a hobby it's something to do in the winter time you know i mean winter time sports are um there's not a lot of them so i uh shoot archery in the winter time is something i enjoy so having my own range is very nice um you know, go, going up to uh, a tournament like the uh, Rushmore Rumble. Um, two weeks out of that tournament, I pretty much shot every day. I try to shoot, I would say, somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 to 120 arrows a night, probably. Kind of depends how much time I have, really. Um, or what else I need to work on, if I need to work on a bow or, or fix up some arrows, you know, or whatever. Um, but let's just say 120 arrows uh, a day leading up to the tournament. Um, um, I'll make sure I'm shooting the, the right target face. So I always shoot the target face. So I'm going to be shooting at the tournament. Um, I don't want to have any surprises when I go somewhere and and have a sight picture that I'm not used to. Um, you know, um, let's, like, like Redding, let's say, you know, there, there's certain size of dots at certain distances. So if this, you know, a 40 centimeter dot, um, let's just say 60 yards is the max for that size of dot. You know, same thing with field archery. I'll, I'll try to practice on that dot about five yards past its max. So I can get used to, um, make, make it a little bit harder. So then sometimes during the tournament, I see that same size of dot and it's five yards closer than what I'm used to at its longest distance. Right. So, I think that helps out a lot. Um, I do that a lot, practice in the field or, or reading, stuff like that. Um, but indoor archery, um, I, I don't just shoot arrows to, to shoot arrows. Um, if I'm not working on something, 
um, whether it be, uh, you know, tweaking my stabilizers, um, tweaking my drawings a little bit, or uh, lately it's been pee pipes. Um, I haven't been happy with uh, with a pee pipe. I probably changed it, I don't know, 20 times in the last two weeks. Um, very, very minor adjustments. You know, it's just, you know, what I said at the beginning was just trying to find a bow that's, that's comfortable to shoot. Yep. Um, I, I want to, I, I don't want to have to come to anchor and, and look for that sweet spot. It, it should be there from the start. So, you know, as, as I'm shooting these 120 arrows or whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, for ways to make improvements. You know, if it's, if it's the way my bow is holding or my release is working, if I'm, I'm constantly working on something. So, um, I score every arrow. I don't just go out and shoot shoot 120 X's or 120 arrows to, to say I shot 120 arrows. You know, if, if I'm shooting really bad, um, I may only shoot 50 or 60. I, I've never found, uh, much benefit. And if I, if I'm having a bad day, I've, I've never found uh, much benefit in continuing to shoot right. during those bad days. I, I feel like I pick up bad habits that way. So no, just, uh, Leading up to a tournament, shoot as much as I can. You know, same thing with the hunt. If you're going on a hunt or going out west or, or something, um, you know, shoot as much as you can leading up to that. And uh, practice the long shots and uh, just got to get comfortable with it. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I take my practice serious. I uh, do everything I can for to uh, prepare for the tournament. And it's, it, it's, it's different. You know, you can go to a tournament, you can get nervous. And, and your bow starts moving more, so you know the the perfect setup you have at home. Um, it's not always the perfect setup you need for a tournament. So, hey, right. that's it's uh, yeah. one of the biggest biggest conversation pieces or biggest I guess sayings out there is, "Does your bow shoot under pressure?" Um, until you can prove that it does, you'll never know. You know, and the same thing with your hunting bow. We can. Yeah. We can get you really, really close. Um, you know, a, a gentleman that had an accident on his, uh, he, he actually kind of fell down a mountain, um, and then he had to go to Arizona in two weeks. Well, he came and uh, got a new bow because his other bow was getting warrantied fixed, and we sent it off, and he's like, well, you know, this will work. It feels good here at 20 yards. He, and he went down to Arizona on a coos, and, and he had actually a big muley in front of him <clears throat> that he spot, spot and stocked in. A uh, 45-yard chip shot for him all day, and then actually got closer, and uh, he whiffed it, whiffed it big. And this guy can shoot too, you know. It's not, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a pressure deal, but his, him and that bow did not perform together in a pressure situation right. compared to his other one, you know. And the same thing, it, it, not only hunting but in target. So you, you got to see, and some people may not ever care. You know, all the pressure got to me. I shot a nine. Uh, I would say if you're if you get to the level that we're at, and of course we're not bragging, but if you shoot a nine, your day's over. You know what I mean? You're you're not happy. Now that doesn't mean we're going okay. to the hotel room and switching things out. That just means that we're trying to mentally fix what we did. You know. But yep. Jason, yep. it's been a blast, man. You you are you have a huge list, a resume, uh, man. I, I hope the best for you in the future. And I know that we're going to see each other and travel to some shoots, and I'm looking forward to it. And I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I know there's more to come. 
maybe maybe here after uh, the summer tournaments and you got six or seven more titles under your name we'll we'll dive in before hunting <laughs> season and sees but we, I, I man i really appreciate it you went very in depth and uh, we wish you the best of luck we will uh we'll kind of cut you loose here so you can get on doing your doing but i appreciate it and thank you for everything yeah thanks for thanks for everything as well i uh had a good time so i'll uh get back on anytime you need me sounds good thank you again for everybody listening to archery country podcast we'll see you on down the road thank you for listening to archery country podcast 